brought your Bible, go with me please to the book of Genesis. The 14th chapter of the book of Genesis will be going to two parts of the scripture. Genesis chapter 14 and Hebrews chapter 7. The presence of God is what makes the difference. Doesn't matter what you're going through, if God is present, anything is possible. This morning, God is here, and He is available to the slightest cry of His church. The Bible says that God is inhabiting, or He inhabits the praise of His people. As we worship God, He comes and sits among us. And today, I believe He wants to speak to us from His Word, Genesis chapter 14, verse 17. Then after his return from the defeat of Shadelabor of the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of the Most High God. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High. Possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hands. And he gave him the tenth of all. Now if you would go to Hebrews chapter 7. Verse 1. Now this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the most high God, who met Abraham... As he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils, was first of all by the translation of his name the king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is the king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor the end of life, but made like the Son of God, He remains a priest perpetually. Father, I pray that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word this morning. I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. Anoint my lips of clay to preach the word of the living God. And anoint the hearing of this congregation that they might receive it as seed sown in the fertile soil of our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. The church said amen. Amen. You may be seated. This morning I want to use as a subject, an encounter with God. The Bible tells us a story of the great patriarch Abraham. We know him as the father of the faith. He is that name to which three world religions derive their origin. The Muslims, the Jews, and the Christians all claim Abraham as their father. Abraham was that man whom God called out of the idolatry of Ur of the Chaldees in Mesopotamia, and he called him to a land that he would show him. I don't know about you, but if God said to me, Isaac, I want you to leave your relatives, I want you to leave your your flock, your congregation, and I want you to go to the land that I will show you. But he didn't give me any GPS coordinates, I might have a hard time. Leaving. But Abram left. 
In obedience to God's call, he left all that he knew. And he went to find this place that God would show him. And God did show him the land. It was the promised land, the land of Canaan, which to this day is, uh, is, uh, is inhabited by the descendants of Abram. But the Bible tells us that when Abram left Ur of the Chaldees, he took along with him, of course, his wife. If you're going to go on a journey like this and you're married, you better take your wife. And he took his father, but he also took his nephew, Lot. Now, Sarah had to go. She was his wife, and she was willing to go. She was a woman of faith, and she would be the matriarch of the Jewish nation. But Lot was an altogether different story. Lot was a troubled person. He had a lust for the things of the world. His discernment was not quite what it needed to be. And although the Bible calls him righteous Lot in the end of his days, uh, the beginning of his life was a different story. And he, he kind of tagged on to his a- uncle Abram. You, you have any relatives that ever tag along? In Spanish we say chicle, right? They stick to you like gum. Kind of have to scrape them off because they just kind of cling to you. Lot was a chicle. You guys are quiet this morning. The Bible says that Lot and Abraham and their, their uh, families and their workers couldn't get along. Because the truth is that the flesh and the spirit will never get along. Abram was that picture of the, of the spirit. He was that man of faith, that man of God. Lot was a picture of the flesh, self-will, self-desire, wanting to have it your own way. And when you are a Lot, you won't get along with Abram. And when you're an Abram, you won't get along with Lot. How many Abrams are in here this morning? How many Lots are in here? All right, good. So Abram said to Lot, he said, look, we're not getting along. You're going to have to go your way. I'm going to have to go my way. And, uh, and the Bible said that Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the valley of the Jordan. He saw the valley where Sodom was, the city that seemed to be very promising. And it looked lush and green and it had all of the, the promises that the world could make to him. And he chose by what he saw in the natural. Abram lifted up his eyes and he saw the other direction. He saw off in the distance a mountain in a desert that would, that would become ultimately his inheritance and the great uh, blessing of the, of the promised land. But when he saw it, it was a dry terrain that didn't look like much, but he saw it with the eyes of the Spirit and he believed God. Sometimes what you see in the natural is deceiving. Sometimes what the, what the enemy puts before you is a deception. It's a trick. The world offers more than it can give. It will cost you always more than you can afford to pay. Now I'm going to give you a story here. It's not in the Bible. It's not doctrinal. But it's going to help illustrate my point. So just hang in there for a second. And uh, you, you will probably be sharing this with somebody later. But there was a man who died and he went to heaven but... They said, in heaven, you know, you didn't do anything good or bad. You were useless. They said, so we can't decide whether to send you to heaven or hell. We're going we're gonna to let you choose. 
The man spent two weeks in heaven and there was clouds and he sat on a, on a cloud playing a harp and he thought, this is kind of boring. I wonder what hell is like. He got to hell and there was a beautiful golf course and a casino and drinking and revelry and his friends and all of these wonderful things were going on and this was not a hard choice for him to make. He said, he said I'll, just, I'll just go down to the party. The arrangements were made and he was sent to hell and he got to hell and, and it was fire and brimstone and the gnashing of teeth and the horror and terror of all that you would expect in hell. And he said, what happened the other day I was here? It was a casino and a golf course and, and uh, my friends and all the, all the uh, uh, pleasures I could have, they said, yeah, but last week you were a tourist, this week you're a resident. Have you ever been a tourist in the world? Have you ever been a resident of the world? Lot was soon to discover that he was only a tourist because what he saw in Sodom was not what he anticipated. He gets down to Sodom and trouble starts following him. Let me tell you, friend, when you get out of the will of God, trouble will follow you. Trouble will stick to you as trouble stuck to Lot. And before you know it, Lot was in trouble and he had been taken prisoner. He had been taken captive by a, by a band of, of marauders that had come through. And now he was kidnapped and he was in desperate need of rescue. The Bible says that his uncle Abram came to his rescue. You know, there are things in life, there are of family members, there are friends in life that sometimes they get into trouble and you and I end up having to rescue them. Is there anybody that knows what I'm talking about? There are lots in our life that sometimes we don't have any any need to be a part of them, of their life. They've made choices, they've made decisions, they have consequences for their error, but somehow you end up having to go and rescue them. And and let me tell you that it is love that motivates Abram to leave the comforts of his established life, to go and help his his uh, his, uh, his nephew, to go and rescue this, this young man who should have known better, who should have chosen better, who should have made better decisions, but now out of love, Abraham goes to redeem him, to rescue him. He goes to get involved in a fight that's not his fight. He goes to get in fight, involved in a mess that's not his mess. He goes to get involved in trouble that's not his trouble because love won't let him stay home. Do you know the commitment of love? Love is an extraordinary commitment. Love will get you out of bed at two in the morning to pray for somebody that is lost without hope and without God. Love will get you out of bed to go and rescue someone out of, out of trouble. Love will be that motivating factor that won't let you sit still. Abram was motivated by a love for his nephew. And now he had to get involved in this mess. It wasn't his, it wasn't of his making. I'm talking to some people this morning. You've been involved in some messes that you had nothing to do with. You've had to get your hands dirty trying to help people out of the out of trouble that, that, that should have known better, that should have made better decisions, but your love wouldn't let you stay home. Your love wouldn't let you be a, 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 a bystander, a spectator. Love pulled you out. And friends, I'm glad to tell you today that 2,000 years ago, love called Jesus out of heaven and brought him into this world, into the mess of this world, that he might redeem us. 
came looking for you. Lot was in trouble. Lot had lost hope. Lot was now suffering the consequences of his error. But he didn't know that love was on the way. That love had put a rescue team together and was marching toward him. Friend, do you know today that love is looking for you and love will find you. Love will search for you down every alley, down every valley, through every dark corner until you have been rescued and made whole again. Somebody ought to say amen in the house of God. Love came looking for Lot. Love is looking for you. Abram is now engaged in this fight in order to rescue his nephew. But today I don't want to talk so much about Lot. I want to talk about Abram. And I want to talk to those of you who've been, in this year, you've been going through an Abram-like experience. Fighting fights for someone else. And today you might say, Pastor, I'm weary in fighting. I'm weary in, in trying to help. You might say, Pastor, I'm getting to the end of my rope. I have, I have done all the caring that I can do. I have done all the praying that I can do. I have, I have done all the witnessing that I can do. I've done all the sharing that I can do. You say, Pastor, I'm just about ready to quit. But you see, Abraham went into this battle and although he was tired, he was winning. Although he was tired, he was gaining ground. Can I tell you, friend, though you be weary, thank God you're winning. Though you be tired, thank God you're making some progress. Thank God that you and I are going forward. That weariness sets in and Abram is on his way home now. The battle is over. Lot is rescued. Trouble is past. Scripture says that he's on his way home and... Someone comes out to meet him on the road. The weary warrior finds himself in the midst of an encounter with a stranger. The Bible calls this stranger Melchizedek. He was a king and a priest. He was a man of extraordinary Splendor, and from the sound of it was was um, so captivating that Abram was awestruck in his presence. The Bible says that Melchizedek came forward and he served Abram a meal. I want to tell you today that there is a God who wants to meet you on your road. If you're weary today, if you're tired today, you're bearing burdens that someone else has put upon you, let me tell you that there is someone on the road today that says, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly of spirit. He says, I will give you rest. Now, if you're in, in Hebrews 7, I want you to read this with me and see if you can guess who Melchizedek is. Are you ready? Did you bring your Bible to church? God forbid we read the Bible at church. We do it Kingsway, don't we? All right. 
Let's see if we can guess who this was. Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who Abraham met as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoil. He was first of all by the translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But made like the son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Can you guess who this is? Oh, I can tell you know him. Because you recognize him when you see him. This is none other than Jesus Christ. The Son of God appears in what scholars call a Christophanes 2,000 years before the Gospels. 2,000 years before his birth in Bethlehem, the Son of God appears in human history because Abram needed to know that he was supported by God. I can imagine it today. That Jesus, the Son of God, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He looks down and he sees Abram, the weary warrior, making his way home. Maybe slowly, step by step, tired but victorious. And and the Son of God says, I'm going to go down. I'm going to interrupt my schedule. I'm going to interrupt this dispensation. And the the Son of God eternal and pre-existing enters into time in order to meet with Abram. The Bible calls him the king of righteousness. Can I tell you, friend, that Jesus is the king of righteousness? I have looked in politics for a king of righteousness, but I have found only one. It's not Barack Obama. It's not the queen of England. It's Jesus Christ, the king of righteousness. He is the one that can justify the sinner. You say, preacher, what does that mean, justify? It means that Jesus can make a sinner right with God. You say, preacher, don't you mean that, doesn't that mean that I'm wrong with God? That's right. Man without Christ is wrong with God. Outside of Christ, you are at hostility with God. The Bible says to be a friend of the world is to be the enemy of God. We were born into sin. Our sin makes us wrong with God. It puts us in a state of, of, of separation from God. But Jesus can make you right with God. And if I were you and I didn't know Jesus today, I would be saying, Preacher, tell me, how do I get right with God? Is there anybody in here that just needs to know, how do I get right with God? 
I'll tell you how you get right with God. The Bible said that if you will confess your sin to God, that he is faithful and just to forgive you of all unrighteousness. The Bible said that if you will believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that you will be saved. That's all it takes is simple faith in Jesus Christ, for he is the one that can make man right with God. There is no other who can do that but Christ. And this is basically how it worked. Several years ago, I was, I was like you and lost without God. And yes, just a little boy. You say, just a little boy, but lost. Yes, Fred, we are born lost. Without hope and without God in the world. And I, I cried out to Christ. The way so many of you cried out to Christ. And when you and I confess our sin to God... Something takes place in the heavens. There's an exchange that takes place. This morning when I told this story, I said God had a filing cabinet, but you guys are a little younger, so I'm going to say that God has a computer. And God looks up on that computer and he he draws up my name, Isaac De Los Santos. And all the record of my iniquity, past, present, and future comes up. Every thought It was unpleasing to God. Every action, every word, every deed that was sinful. The Bible said that God has a record of every idle word. We'll be judged for it. He pulls up that record of my sin and just as mine, he pulls up the record of your sin. On that file it says, condemned. But the Bible said that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. But he sent his son into the world to save the world. Over our, over our name is written condemnation. Over our name is written lost. Over our name is written sinner. But then when you put your faith in Christ, God pulls up that file and he selects every record that's in there. And then he hits the delete button. Somebody say, delete. Delete. My sins have been deleted. He took the record of my iniquity and he hit delete. He took the record of your past and he hit delete. He took the record of your sin and he hit delete. Our, our, Our wrong standing before God, the adultery, the fornication, the iniquity, the robbery, the theft, the lies, the cheating, all of it deleted by the, by the, by the simple act of you putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Some of you say, Pastor, I don't know if God could do that for me. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what you've done. Because when you needed, when you were in a 300, uh, a 300 foot hole, Jesus gave you 400 feet worth of rope. He's got you covered. I said, he's got you covered. He's got you covered as far as the east is from the west. He has removed our sin from us. But don't I have to do something? Don't I need to buy this favor from God? Don't I need to put some money down and make small payments? For the rest of my life, friend, all you have to do is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So simple. He takes that 
file and he deletes it, but he doesn't just leave you there. He opens up another file. He pulls up the file of his, of his son. He pulls up the file of Jesus Christ, son of God. All the record of his righteousness. His goodness, his patience, his mercy, his kindness. His blood, his body, his provision, his cross. All the righteousness of Christ there on that record. And he selects it all and he, he does a copy. He goes over to that window that was your record. And he hits paste. And now I have a new record. So now when God pulls up my file, he doesn't see sin. He sees righteousness. He doesn't see iniquity. He sees justification. He is the only one that can make you right before God. He's the only one that can justify men before God. I now have the righteousness of God. You, if you're in Christ today, you have the righteousness of God. If, you're, if you believe in Christ, I want you to say this with me. I have the righteousness of God in Christ. Didn't that feel good? So when the, when the enemy comes and whispers in your ear and says, you blew it. Why would God listen to you? I know where you've been. I know what you've done. I want you to tell him out loud and like a prophet. I have the righteousness of Christ. When he comes to remind you of your past, you tell him, devil, I don't have a past. I have the righteousness of Christ. He is the king of righteousness. and Through his cross, he is made available to me. His righteousness. The Bible further says that this Melchizedek was the king of peace. Not only is Jesus the king of righteousness, but he is also the king of peace, friend. He is the only one that can give you peace with God. Man without Christ is at war with God. Only Jesus can give you peace with God. And only Jesus can give you the peace of God. Some of us sleep at night. Some of you don't sleep much. You have been robbed of your peace. Your conscience robs you of every, every moment of peace. But the Bible says that it is the blood of Jesus that can cleanse the conscience from dead works so that you can serve the living God. It's the blood of Jesus that gives your mind peace with God. The story is told of a Japanese warrior who was found in the Philippine Islands in the 1970s. His weapon was perfectly maintained and his uniform was uh, looking pristine when they found him and they asked him, they said, sir, what are you doing in the jungle? He said, my captain told me to hold this ground and I'm going to hold it until he returns. 
They said, what captain? He said, the captain of my, uh, uh, of the Japanese force I was a part of. And they, they said, uh, the Japanese? He said, yes, we're fighting the Second World War. They said, well, sir, I don't know if you know this or not, but 35 years ago, the World War ended. The Japanese surrendered. They signed terms of peace. For 35 years, a man was fighting a war that had already ended. And I'm here today to tell you, friend, that those who fight against God today are fighting a war that's already been ended at the cross. 2,000 years ago with his own blood, Jesus made peace with God for all men so that those who would believe in him would no longer be in a state of hostility with God but would have peace with God. If you want to know peace, you need to know the king of peace. The Bible said that he had no father or mother, no genealogy, no the beginning of days, no the end of life. Jesus is the eternal son of God. He has no beginning. And no end. He has no beginning, for he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He was there before you got into trouble, and he'll be there during your trouble, and he'll be there after your trouble. He is the eternal God. He is the king, the eternal king, the eternally righteous king. Now something unique happens when he comes out to meet Abram. He puts before Abram three things. He does, he does two things. He gives him three things total. The Bible says that Jesus comes into history and he blesses Abram. Melchizedek here blesses Abram. He gives the patriarch his blessing. Let me tell you, if you are weary in your warring, there's a blessing for you. God is a blesser. God wants to bless you. Some of you are caring for someone who's sick. Or maybe you know what it's like to have cared for someone who's sick. And I'll tell you, God has a blessing for you. You might think, I don't know how long I could go. I don't know how long I could take this. Let me tell you, friend, there is a blessing that God has in store. Some of you are, are, are constantly investing or, or, or putting out your hand to help somebody else that, that you have to give money you don't even have to get somebody else some help. Let me tell you, friend, God has a blessing for you. Say that this morning. God wants to bless me. Now, that, that you didn't really believe at that time. I don't think you just kind of let it roll over your, your tongue like, Pastor wants me to talk a lot this morning. I'm going to ask you to do it again, but this time I want you to say it with some faith. Is there any faith in Kingsway Church this morning? Say it with me. God wants to bless me. God has a blessing for his church. He told us on Wednesday night, the camel train of his blessing is on the way. 
All you got to do is stand in position. Keep doing what you're doing for God. He's saying, I am going to bless your socks off. I am going to do this extraordinary thing in your life. How many of you are about due for a blessing? He said, don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. I feel a due season coming. I feel a due season coming for Kingsway Church. In due season you will reap if you faint not. God wants to bless you. In fact, he's already blessed you. I've seen the cars you drive. You're blessed people. I've seen your, ho- your homes. You're blessed people. And some of you are just starting out and you're wondering, how am I ever going to get there? You just keep doing it God's way. You keep living it God's way and God will see to it that his blessing will find you, friend. Love is looking for you. Blessing is looking for you. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. That is my promise from my God and I will believe it and you ought to believe it as well. He blessed him. Every time before you leave the sanctuary, we pray a blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. What does that mean? It means may God smile on you this week. Every Sunday morning I'm praying, God smile on your church this week. When somebody better qualified applies for the same job, give it to my folk because they belong to you. Smile on them. Bless them. Somebody ought to get excited this morning. You say, Pastor, you really pray like that? I do. (laughs) I want to see you blessed. And God wants to bless you. And when when you do life his way, he blesses it. But right now, maybe you're in the middle of a fight trying to rescue Lot. You don't feel too blessed. Just hang in there. Hold on. Now, he didn't just bless him, but the Bible said he put before him a meal. He put bread and wine in front of him. Now, this always amazes me. Bread and wine, what does that remind you of? The Lord's Supper. The Son of God enters into time ahead of schedule about two dispensations ahead of time and he gives to Abram the new covenant he says to Abram Abram I want you to taste the new covenant He gives him the bread and the wine, those symbols of our communion with God through his son. That bread which Jesus spoke of, he said, I am the bread of life. He that eats of me will never die. 
The Jews were upset at him and they said, Our fathers ate bread that came out of heaven. They ate the manna in the wilderness. What have you eaten? Jesus responded, he said, surely your fathers ate manna that came out of heaven, but I am the bread that has come down out of heaven. I am the bread that has come down out of heaven, the bread of life. He said, your fathers ate manna and they died, but if you eat of me, you will live forever. Come on, church, I'm not talking about buying a Cadillac. I'm talking about Jesus, the son of the living God. He said, if you, if you eat of me, you'll live forever. You'll have eternal life. I think God just lets us taste sometimes. On the roadside, what he's going to do in the future, just so that we will be encouraged. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He gives him bread and he gives him wine. The wine, the symbol of the blood of Jesus. Jesus, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. His blood was the seal of the covenant. I've read the works of other of the so-called gods. And I don't read about any of them that ever gave a drop of their own blood to rescue anybody but I read of a Christ who came out of heaven to rescue me and he did so with his own blood we have been purchased with the price of his own blood the precious blood of Christ friend this blood still cleanses sinners it still delivers the captive it still brings recovery to broken hearts this blood still sets men free This blood brings joy to the spirit of man. And Jesus said before Abraham, that cup of wine, as if to say, Abram, you hold on, you hang in there. Because I am not only going to bless you, but I'm going to bless the world through you. Through your descendants will come one whose blood will save the world from their sin. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of of Jesus. It is Jesus Christ alone that provided atonement for our sins. And He wants to meet you on the road today to encourage you and to tell you don't give up, don't give in, don't throw in the towel, and don't quit. You are going to win this thing. This battle is on, is already won. And friend, if God be for you, Who can be against you? Let me close by speaking to Lot for a moment. Are you a Lot? Are you bringing grief and trouble on those who love you? Today I call out to you and say, it's time to come home.
it's time to be right with God. It's time to say yes to Christ. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't say later. Don't say tomorrow. Say now, today. This is your appointed season. And God is looking for you. His love was seeking you and has found you this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And with your heads bowed, I'm going to make two invitations this morning. This first invitation is to you who would say, Pastor, I don't know Jesus Christ personally as the Savior of my soul. I don't know what it's like to be forgiven and I don't know what it's like to have His peace. Today is your day. Tonight might be too late. Today is a day of decision. He's calling out to you for your soul because He loves you. Love came looking for Lot and love's come looking for you this morning. And all you have to do is put your faith in Christ. He'll help you to live life His way. So I'm going to pray for you and then I'm going to ask you to come. If you need to make it right with God this morning. Father, in Jesus' name, I come before your throne of grace. And I pray that you would bring conviction of sin upon any person in this place who doesn't know you as their Savior. The greatest most essential decision that they can make is to say yes to you and this morning I pray that faith would rise in their hearts that they would say I want to have forgiveness of my sins they would say yes to Christ I pray that there would be a real removal of blindness this morning spiritual blindness come off of their eyes that they might see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that they might see the love of the Savior and reject Him no more I pray that procrastination and apathy would be removed from any one of their hearts and that there would be nothing to delay their decision any moment longer for today they have heard your voice oh God let them not harden their hearts I ask you to do this for the glory of your son Jesus the fame of Christ in the world